Okay, this is God's word from Galatians. Now, before faith came, we were captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then, the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, excuse me. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything, but he is under the guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way also we were children, When we were children, we were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of the Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. Praise God for his word, amen. The grass withers and the flower fades, but Jesus said, my words will never pass away. Uh, So I pray that um, we listen to his words today you know, um, every, every Christmas season, you know, like every, every December, one, uh, one of the movies that I put way up at the top of my list to watch, and if you've been here long enough, you know what I'm going to say, uh, not the Lord of the Rings, uh, surprisingly, not at Christmas time, but um, um, it's a wonderful life. Frank Capra's amazing um, movie, It's a Wonderful Life. Now, if you watch It's a Wonderful Life, most of the story doesn't take place at Christmas time. It's just that the main character, George Bailey, at Christmas time, begins to see his life rightly. And so that's what I want to do today. Through the lens of Christmas, I want to focus on our entire lives. I'm going to invite you to look at your entire existence through the lens of Christmas. So in that movie, uh, towards the end of the movie, when all the townspeople come to George Bailey's aid, when he was in trouble, do you remember the Christmas carol they sang? Anyone? It's Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Or they, they all belted out. And that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to just focus on, as we do for our Songs of Advent series every, every year, we're going to focus on Christian themes that you find in classic Christmas carols. Uh, Christmas carols are packed with rich, 
doctrine and teaching and perspective on what Christianity is. If you want to understand Christianity, if you want to go deeper into what it actually is, maybe you've taken it for granted, you're not really sure what it's all about, um, you know, you're kind of hovering around what Christianity is and who Jesus, who Jesus is and what church is all about and all that stuff, but you couldn't really explain it to somebody if they asked you, Christmas carols are a great crash course in what Christianity is. And today we're going to just think about Hark the Herald Angels Sing. It was written by Charles Wesley in 1739. He had a famous brother, John Wesley, who basically started what we now call as the Methodist Church. I think over time, Charles has become more famous because of the enduring quality of his hymns. You know, Charles Wesley wrote over 6,500 hymns. And this is maybe one of the most famous, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. However, uh, much later, because this wasn't the, the, the melody you sing is, was not the original melody. Actually, um, a famous musician in the 1840s uh, came up with a tune and a harmony that really made it famous for the ages, Felix Mendelssohn. You may have heard of him. Uh, after that, a guy by the name of William H. Cummings uh, came up with the harmonic arrangement that we're now comfortable with today, and that was in 1856. So when we sing this, it is the product of more than one person through more than one century. Have you ever sung the words to something without really thinking about what it means? Like, think, think of the national anthem. How many times did you sing the national anthem before you really thought, what am I singing about? What do these words actually mean? I wonder if I really know what they mean right now. We are in a part of a country where um, the meaning has some great regional significance, uh, but we're not talking about the national, uh, the Star Spangled Banner today. Uh, but often Christmas carols are like that. Right? If, if, if you've been born in the United States or if you grew up in any Western nation, um, and if you've at all been in a traditional religious setting, you've heard of Christmas carols. If you've ever, maybe you're not a Christian or maybe you weren't raised in a religious home, but you went to high school and you were in the choir or something. Everybody has sung a Christmas carol at some point. My question today is, do we understand what they mean? Have we stopped to consider the words? Let's do that today. Let's look more closely at this famous one, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. And I just want us to focus on the second stanza that we sang. Just this. I may mention a couple, of other, a couple of other phrases, but this is what I really want to focus on. Christ, by highest heaven adored. Christ, the everlasting Lord. Late in time, behold him come. Offspring of the virgin's womb. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. Pleased as man with men to dwell. Jesus. Our Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. John Wesley's, uh, sorry, Charles Wesley's carol here is packed with biblical references. And I just want to consider one of them. I want you to look at that phrase, late in time, behold him come, offspring of the virgin's womb. This is why we took a look at the end of Galatians chapter 3 and the beginning of Galatians chapter 4. Because Wesley, in writing this stanza, pulled it right out of Paul's letter to the Galatians. Galatians chapter 4, 
beginning in verse 4, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. If you heard me talking to the kids earlier about adoption today, I want to build on that theme a bit. To understand what Paul was talking about, we're just going to go a little bit further back the very uh, previous verse of Galatians chapter 4, when you go to verse 3, this is what Paul had said. Paul had said that when we were children, we were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. I want to talk about that and unpack it a bit. If you go back to verse, chapter 3, verse 24... Uh, Paul described God's law in the Old Testament. This is, this is the Jewish Torah, the Torah, the law of Moses, the Ten Commandments, and all the hundreds of commandments and rules and regulations that came out of those original ten, the law. Paul had called the law a guardian. He said the law was a guardian for the Jews, for the ancient Israelites. It was a guardian. Another word for guardian would have been a tutor or a steward a taskmaster, somebody who trains you up and prepares you for something else. You know, when this was written, in Greco-Roman society, well-off families would entrust the heir of the household to a steward, to a tutor, basically to a professional household nanny or, or, or butler, and, and that steward, that guardian was responsible for that child. And that, that guardian would essentially raise that child until that child came of, of age to inherit the household, to inherit the family business. It really, it wasn't the parents raising them, it was the guardian preparing them for that moment when they would come of age and, and basically take over the household. And so Paul was saying to the church in Galatia, God's law was like a tutor training us until the time that we were ready to inherit something, to, in, to come into who we truly are. And so again, in chapter 4, verse 3 of Galatians, he says, when we were children. Now, that's a metaphor. He means when we were childish, when we were still untaught, when we were still unskilled and naive. Paul is saying when we were children, we only understood the elementary principles of the world. The elementary principles of the world, uh, that's like uh, the, simplest, the simplest facts of, of a subject that you have to learn. The Protestant reformer John Calvin referred to this as the rudiments. When we were children, when we were young about spiritual things and still untrained and still unlearned, God's law was, was training us to understand the fundamental, simplest factors of our existence, the elementary principles. Elementary principles point you to a greater knowledge of something. They point you to a fuller enjoyment of something that you're learning. You know what I'm talking about. Listen, for instance, you have to learn spelling and vocabulary to really enjoy a book or poetry. If you want to read The Lord of the Rings, you have to learn how to read. You have to learn phonics. And or think of addition or subtraction or multiplication. You have to learn the basics of mathematics first if you're ever someday going to design a building or an airplane or a computer. Um, I have a musical background, 
They're boring, but you have to learn your scales. You have to learn your key signatures. Yes, it's boring and it's not fun, but you've got to work on them again and again and again and again and again. And you go, why, 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 why? Well, because a day is going to come when you will be able to enjoy and maybe even perform Beethoven or Duke Ellington. Even if you want to learn how to play Coldplay, you have to still learn the basics. Learning how to dribble a ball, the most basic thing in basketball, you've got to start there. You've got to learn how to dribble if you're ever going to be ready to play in a championship game someday in high school. So what Paul is saying is that God's law gave us the basic principles of life, the elementary principles, elementary principles of, the, of, the, of, the, of the world. But it wasn't grammar, and it wasn't addition, and it wasn't key signatures. This is what the elementary principles of the world were, God's righteous standards. Love God, love your neighbor. Those are the basic facts about the universe. Love your creator, and love the other people that he's created. The basic facts, the elementary principles of the universe are worship and humility and love and justice and mercy. Those are the elementary principles of the world. But there's another one, and this is maybe the most important. We can't fulfill all of those standards perfectly, not even close. Love, justice, mercy, humility, worship, love God, love your neighbor. We cannot fulfill them, and that is the most important thing that the moral law ever taught human beings, is that we cannot keep it. So when Paul says, you only knew the elementary principles, the basic facts about human existence, the biggest, most fundamental, basic fact when you look at all of those laws and principles is you can't keep them. I can't keep them. Even if you never see me do a bad thing or say a nasty word, in my heart, in my mind, I cannot keep the law that God has laid out for humanity that is the basic principle of life. Have you never heard it before? Have you been living your life and not focusing on the meaning of it? Like just singing the Star Spangled Banner and not really thinking about it? Well, here's something you have missed. You cannot fulfill God's moral law. Not even close. And at this point, if you're really paying attention, you should be getting worried. <laughs> or you should be frustrated that you can't keep it. Or you should be pessimistic because what's the point, right? If we're paying attention to what Paul refers to as the basic principles of the universe, we should be either pessimistic, we should be frustrated, or we should be really, really worried about ourselves. And that's why Christmas is so important. As Linus said to Brown, this is what Christmas means, Charlie Brown. The Apostle Paul gave an answer to our problem of not being able to match the basic standards that God has set 
for all of humanity. And I'm going to go back to our passage for today. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. Born of woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. You see, in God's perfect timing, in human history, God's son came into the world. He was born of a woman. You see that? He was born under the law. That is so important that he was born of a woman and he was born under the law. This was so that he might teach us the elementary principles of the world, but far more than that. God sent his son to teach us advanced information. And here's what it is, because anybody can understand it if they're willing to listen and receive it. This is what we learn by God sending his son to teach us more than the elementary principles of the world. What do we learn? We learn that God was born of a woman. He became a physical, historical human being. He wasn't a phantom. He wasn't a ghost. He wasn't an angel. He was, as we sang, veiled in flesh. The Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. We learn that God was not only born of a woman biologically, physically, we learn that God was born under the law. It actually says that, born under the law. Do you realize how amazing that is? It means that God, in becoming a human being and living for over 30 years on this planet, it means that he submitted to his own rules. How many despots and tyrants and presidents and famous people think that the rules don't apply to them? I mean, that, that is a philosophical concept from the 1800s. The better you are, the more powerful you are, the richer you are, the more important you seem to be in, in humanity, the basic rules don't apply to you. That's why we see all of this about celebrities and famous people and powerful people. Deep down, they feel that because of who they are and what they've accomplished, what we have to live by, the fundamental basic principles of life, don't apply to them. And yet God became a human being and followed his own rules. When Jesus was born under the law, God who wrote the law submitted himself to his own law. And he followed it perfectly. This is amazing. He submitted himself to his own law and then he obeyed it. And then he fulfilled it in every way. Jesus became humanity's new representative, fulfilling all of God's purposes and intent and, and, and standards. So that essentially, what, what the birth of Jesus Christ, what Christmas does for us, and what this famous Christmas carol shows us is we have the, the ability to say, move over, Adam. We want Jesus now to represent us. Adam's likeness now efface. Stamp thine image in its place. You see what we're singing? We're saying, Adam, we don't want you to represent us anymore because we failed just like you failed. You failed the basic principles, elementary principles. We want Jesus to represent us now. We want to be, we want to be constituents of Jesus Christ who fulfilled God's standards perfectly. And so we sing, second Adam from above, reinstate us in thy love. How does Jesus 
reinstate you. By faith in Jesus, we receive this amazing gift that I talked to the kids about. God adopts us as his sons. Now, that's not a chauvinistic or sexist statement because in the ancient world, only the male son could inherit. So this doesn't mean God adopts us all as boys. It means God adopts us all as heirs. Adoption as sons in the New Testament means male or female, we are adopted as God's heirs to inherit when we're grown up and ready for it, spiritually speaking, to inherit all that God has and has given to us. And what do we know about adoption? You can't adopt yourself. You can't adopt yourself into a family. A family has to adopt you in. This is why we trust in God by faith, not by what we do, not by our works and our behavior, but by Jesus' behavior. The coming of Jesus. See, Paul illustrates why this gift of God's Son was so important and so revolutionary to human history. The coming of Jesus would make spiritual orphans, that's you and me without God, the coming of Jesus would make spiritual orphans heirs in God's family so that we could inherit all that God intends for us so that we could inherit what the law, being our guardian, had no power to give us, but could only point us to. So what do we learn from Christmas? We learned that grace is actually the ruling principle of the universe. That's what Jesus teaches us. It's more than the basic principles. See, the, in the basic principles of the universe are things like karma. You get what you deserve. What goes around comes around, and we learn that very quickly in life. We learn karma as children. You get what you deserve. That is a basic principle of living in this universe. But grace is getting what you do not deserve. Grace is getting what you have not worked for and what you have not earned. Adoption is grace. We want you in our family. You've become our legal child. You will inherit everything that my biological children will inherit. And you didn't work for that. I've just committed myself to loving you forever. That's not karma. That's grace. And it only comes through faith in God's son, the new Adam. So Christmas announces a new and final teacher to bring us to that next level of understanding the principles of the universe, Jesus Christ. And I want to encourage you this Christmas to rejoice in what the angels sang about over the skies of Bethlehem over 2,000 years ago. They sang about God's reconciling love. They sang about God's adoptive love. And I want to ask you a practical question. Where are you in the universe? And I mean that quite literally. Um, now, yes, we're all parents or children or siblings, teachers, engineers, uh, nurses, artists, business people. But what are you in the universe? I mean, what are you in relationship to the creator? That is what I want to ask you about. Because if you haven't thought of that, and if you're not thinking about it, it's kind of like, it's kind of like singing a famous carol or anthem 
over and over and over and over again, but not really thinking about the words. You're living your life, and you may look very successful, and you may have lots of friends, and you may be buzzing along and humming along, and you don't have time to stop and think, and you don't have time to be religious, and you don't have, to, you don't have time to think about those bigger issues in life. Your job is important, or parenting is difficult. Yeah, all of that's true, but I'm telling you, don't miss the words. Don't miss the principles of life. What are you in the universe? If you haven't accepted this amazing gift that only Jesus can offer to you, the Bible says you are an orphan. You're a cosmic orphan. Spiritually speaking, you're a ward of this. Well, okay, so you know how before a child gets adopted, they are a ward of the state. Right? Somebody hopefully is taking care of them. If they're not on the street, they're a ward of the state. As a spiritual orphan, you are a ward of the law. God's law, God's perfect law, his perfect standards that you cannot keep. That's your guardian. And what do we know about wards of the state? They take care of you out of obligation not out of love. That's your guardian as a cosmic orphan. And you're going to spend your life, you're going, to, you're, you're going to spend your existence on earth striving to achieve something, striving to be somebody or to be something. And you're always going to wonder, is this enough? Have I done enough? Am I enough? Am I enough? And you know the answer of living like an orphan and thinking like an orphan. The answer is always no. The answer is I never feel fully confident here. I don't know if I belong. I don't know when I'm going to get kicked out. So you know what? I'll make it easy on myself. I'm leaving now. And that's how we live without Jesus. And striving will end someday in utter disappointment and death. Unless... We listen intently to what the angels sang about. Hark, what does that mean? Heads up, listen. The herald angels are singing something. Glory to the newborn king. And they said, peace on earth and mercy mild. Why? God and sinners reconcile. No longer orphans, daughters, sons, heirs. What have you been listening to? Ask yourself that question. What have I been listening to? What have I been perking my ears up, tuning my ears in for understanding? What have I been learning about? Who have I been listening to for approval? What have I been listening to in the world to feel like I can belong to something or to somebody? Well, I'm telling you, Christmas gives you the opportunity to listen more intently to what the angels sang about. And this is what they sang about according to the Apostle Paul in Galatians 4. God sent his son to redeem those who were trapped under the guardianship of the law so that we might receive adoption. Sons and daughters know they're loved. They know they are wanted, even though they're imperfect. They have experienced the joy of failing and not being kicked out, of failing 
and drawing near to a father who loves them, who sent their big brother to perfectly fulfill all of those elementary principles on their behalf. You can't make yourself a child of God. Let Jesus do that. Let Jesus make you God's heir because he was born to raise the sons of earth. He was born to give them second birth. You see that? There it is. Receive God's gift of a second birth, a spiritual birth, being reborn as an heir. That's what being born again means if you've heard of it before. It's not being a holy roller. It means you are no longer an orphan in the universe. You're an heir of God. And maybe you have to realize that for the first time in your life and no longer sing the words and live your life by rote, but focus on what God is saying and do something about it. If you're listening now, talk to one of us. Talk to your parents. Talk to a friend who has already received this amazing gift of adoption through the coming of Jesus. And if you already belong to Christ, let's Let's appreciate just what we've been given, amen? So rejoice, my friends. Let's rejoice in what the angels sang about. God, God has reconciled us and God has adopted us in love through the Savior, Jesus Christ. I'm gonna pray for us and then we're gonna, we're gonna take the Lord's Supper. We're gonna take communion. Our great God, thank you. Thank you for not allowing us to remain ignorant of the most important principles of life, that we cannot keep your law, but that Christ did and has. Thank you that you have taught us through Jesus, your son, that we are no longer, we are no longer under the guardianship of something obliged to take care of us that we could not fulfill. Forgive us for loving the law and trying to be so moral because the law doesn't love us back, Lord. Rules don't love us back. People love us back. You can love us back. Help us to stop trying to please one another and fulfill your law on our own and in our own strength. Help us to love you. Thank you that you loved us first through your son Jesus. And now we ask that you would set aside, Lord God, these simple elements, these basic elements of life, bread and wine, and use them for spiritual purposes to feed our souls now. In Christ Jesus' name, amen.